Okay, so this class, uh, this was originally what we were going to do in the spring. We we're going to do Redeemer is about, and the the goal of that was to uh, just talk about a way of seeing church and a way of seeing doing church, basically. Um, so why do this class? Uh, there's this story. I think it's a great story. There's these three workers that were hired to dig an irrigation ditch for a farmer. And this man walks by and he sees the three guys working and he asks the first worker and he says, Hey man, what, what are y'all doing? And the dude stops digging and he scowls and he says, man, we're just digging a ditch. And he thanks the man and walks by him and goes up to the second man and says, Hey man, what are you doing? And the dude stops and he wipes the sweat off his brow and he says, just digging a ditch, trying to make a living, trying to make a living. He thanks that man, goes up to the third one and says, hey, man, what are you doing? And this guy stops and has this big smile on his face and very enthusiastically says, I'll tell you what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm creating a masterpiece. And he goes on to describe, he says, see this field? He points out to the field that they're digging this ditch for and says, right now it's just dirt and dust. Uh, but close your eyes and open your imagination as I describe what it's going to be. Uh, when I finish digging these irrigation ditches, the farmer who owns this land will plant seeds and these ditches will water them. And those seeds in a matter of weeks will produce a 40 acre plot of earth will be transformed into the Garden of Eden. Uh, there will be fresh fruit and vegetables for every description. Hundreds of people will be fed. And so he goes on and on and paints this unbelievable vision of digging a ditch. Uh, so vision and values, the reason why we're talking about what is Redeemer about is it's getting into this way of putting on a pair of glasses and it's, a, it's how you see, right? It's, it's either we can say, you know, are we just digging a ditch? You know, are we, doing, are we just doing church? Uh, we're just doing church. Uh, or we could be thinking like, well, you know, I'm just trying to make a living uh, I just want to do the right thing because, you know, doing these things is the right thing and I want to do the right thing. Or are we a part of a masterpiece, a grand masterpiece of someone who's at work in the world and at work in our lives and at work in Waco and we're actually being a part of that work? Uh, that's a grander, glorious, more accurate view of reality. The, the first two, we're just doing church, is really not an accurate view of reality. And the second one is, well, I'm just trying to do the right thing because you're supposed to do these things. That's also not an accurate view of reality. But if you are a part of God, uh, his great work in your life and in the world, that's reality, right? So, hey, <laughs> there's Keston. So we are looking at what Redeemer is about so that we we get a view of how to see the world, how to see your life, how to see church, how to see doing church. And that's why we're doing it. Uh, there's a tendency sometimes in the church, you can look at church history and you can see this, that um, churches tend to focus on what to believe only. And it's more like, you know, here are the things you got to believe, right? We talk about, well, you know, here's our doctrine, here's our creedal statements. And uh, and these are good things. This is not bad things. But when you only focus on what to believe, what ends up happening is church, doing church becomes uh, more about information than transformation. 
I kind of call it like info ministry. We're just transferring ideas into people. Uh, it's highly cerebral. Um, it's where orthodoxy, that word, has come from. And what's fascinating is that in church history, when you look at the grandchildren of the Reformation, this is what happened to them. Uh, they, were, um, they were right in their theology, but it, it landed nowhere in their lives and landed nowhere in their relationships and landed nowhere where and how they related to the world, their work, money, everything, right? Uh, so what to believe is important, but if we only focus on what to believe, we turn into info ministry. And this info ministry actually led to the highly emotional higher life movements that followed after that, which is interesting, right? So if you got all this heady, 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 heady info stuff, people are wondering, where's the heart? Where's the life? Where's, how does it land in our life? And people are going to seek that. So then some churches focus on, sometimes our churches focus on not only what to believe, but then we're all about what to do, right? Uh, so if the first, if what to believe, the goal is to be faithful, what to do, the goal is to be successful. And so in the 80s and 90s, you might recall, and even in the more in the early 1900s, the church got very pragmatic and the church was really consumed with what to do. What are effective ministry practices? Uh, it was highly practical. Pragmatism was very, very strong. So the church, the church growth movement came out of this. So why we look at values is because it's how to see. It's not just what to believe, and it's not just what to do. It's how to see. Vision is how do you see reality? How do you see church? The goal in how to see is to be gospel fruitful. So it's not just to be faithful. Well, I'm just going to believe the right things. And it's not to be successful. Let's actually do something but it's actually, uh, let's be gospel fruitful. All right, so uh, let's talk about this way. When we, um, any, let's, let's pause there. So we're looking at Redeemer is about. Redeemer is about a way of seeing, how to see. Um, is there anything in that section, in that idea that you have some thoughts or questions on? If you do, you can raise your hand. Okay, I see Ted's picture raising his hand. He's got, no, I'm teasing. All right, let's keep going. All right, so here's one thing to note too, that every church has vision and values. This is very important because every church has them. They're almost, they're like, they're inescapable. Um, whether you state your vision and values or not, you have them. It's kind of like every church has a liturgy, even though, uh, a, a worship service that has liturgical followings, even though some folks say, well, we don't have liturgy. And you'll, uh, so what do you do in your service? Well, we, someone gives announcements, we sing three songs, and then someone prays and preaches, and then we sing again. Well, that's your liturgy. So everyone has vision and values, whether they're stated or not. Um, so again, is it, what are we doing? Are we digging a ditch? Are we just doing church? Are we uh, trying to just do something that's right, or are we a part of God's masterpiece and what he's doing in the world, right? Everybody has that. The other thing to know about vision and values is that they come from the leadership of the church. Um, so in other words, if they don't come from the leadership of the church, if, if vision and values aren't given to the church from the leadership, then 
individual agendas will fill the void and groups agendas will fill the void. Uh, this is the number one reason there are church divisions. The number one reason why there's church conflict, the number one reason why I've been doing church for 20 something years. I can look at our own church. I can look at other churches. I'm a part of uh, a team that takes care of pastors and churches in our presbytery. The number one reason <laughs> for church conflict uh, is relational conflict. And then this one right here is that there is a competition. There's a, a division going on on what's the vision of the church. Okay, so this is why God gives church leadership has a call. That's why it's so important because it's about how to see and how to lead the church that there's a call that's given to church leaders. Also, this is why uh, the Bible gives a basic church structure, a leadership structure, and also that there's leadership qualifications. All this is in the church because leadership is important. In other words, the church is for messy people. Um, in the leadership area, there needs to be some sense of unity and purpose and vision and mission, and that's why it's significant in the Bible. Okay, so let's talk about general background. Let's move into how would you fill in the blank? Redeemer is about fill in the blank. What would y'all fill in the blank? Anybody? Holly, raise your hand. I see your hand. You'd say Redeemer is about what, Holly? What's that? The gospel. The gospel. Bang. Great. Fantastic. Yes. We could chat it. We could all chat what we think. We could chat a word. Just saying. You can chat a word. We could chat a word if we wanted. Ah, I see Carol saying good news, not good advice. Excellent. Redeemer is about good news, not good advice. Redeemer is about Chelsea, what do you have? People or everyone? I can't see what that People. says. People. People. Excellent. Good. What else? I feel it's passion. Passion. Redeemer is about passion. Excellent, Lori. I like that. Yes. Anybody else? Redeemer is about what? I'd say What's that? Reaching more people. Reaching more people. Fantastic. With, yes. With All right. Gospel. So these are, yes. It's the um, millions. Of, oh, to, the to everyone is to us. Okay, that's not the text. Got it. Community. I Excellent. Say, I was going to say too because I feel like that I've met so many wonderful people. Yeah. Yeah. Family. Oh, that's good. Redeemers about people. Excellent. Well, well I, I would say community. Community. Good. Yeah. Redeemers about community. Excellent, y'all. Very, very good stuff. We All should right, take a vote. We should take a vote. I'm just kidding. Holly, <laughs> are you being a Weisenheimer, Holly? Okay, we're going to keep it simple, and this is how I want you to kind of remember it. We're going to say Redeemer is about three things. Um, we're going to unpack them throughout the rest of this course. So this course is going to unpack these three things. This, there we go, three things. And we're going to unpack them at a high level, and we're going to unpack them at a practical level. So we're going to unpack them at the 35 you know, the 30,000 view, that, that how to see look. And then we're going to get down on the ground and we're going to look at how it practically, what to do aspects. All right, so here we are. Here are the three things that Redeemer is about. It's about the one, the one ring that rules them all, Holly, gospel, bingo. So that's the one, that's the grand vision. And we'll, we're going to spend two weeks there and we're probably going to spend two weeks in both of these. 
The next one is we are about community. Bob, you said that, fantastic. And in people, community or friendship, community slash friendship, same thing. And then Redeemer's about mission, and we'll talk about mission. So Redeemer's about the gospel, friendship slash community, and mission. That's basically it, and we're going to unpack that for the time, our time together. If we were to talk practically, this is also how I'd like you to think about it. Uh, the gospel is about connecting people to God. All right, friendship and community is about people connecting to one another, right? And then mission is about redeemer people connecting to Waco. So you got gospel, people connecting to God. We got community and friendship, people connecting to one another. And then we've got connecting to Waco and mission. So this is a way of seeing the church. This is a way we can kind of be managing of the church. And y'all know that like right now, what's happened to the church is pretty phenomenal. You know, obviously this national crisis pandemic thing that's going on, but what's happened is, is that all the bells and the whistles of church are gone, completely gone. So the, you know, usually we're used to church of having all these different programs and so many wild, crazy, cool, um, fun, exciting. Uh, well, I want to do that. I don't want to do that. In other words, there was so much to church. Churches have huge programs, huge sets of ministries. And what's happened in this coronavirus is that those things just went away just like that. And all of a sudden it was like the church got reduced down to, oh my word, what are we about, number one? And then number two is that what everybody wanted is very interesting. Everybody wanted comforting words, good news. And that good news. So we're at a position when we come back into Waco to actually meet a community that has a greater awareness of its need for good news. And that somebody tell me good news. Somebody please give me good words, words that reach the bottom of my soul and bring me back to life and put me back together again. So it is exciting to know that right now we're, I see Dan just got on. Hi, Dan and Jason. All right, some other folks are getting on. I'm not going to be able to say hi to everybody, but hey, when you get on, great to see you. All right, so let's do this. The grand vision of Redeemer, let's just talk about the gospel just for a little bit. Um, one of the things to note about this, so I've got a pair of glasses on my readers. So again, Redeemer is about, if we're putting on a lens, a way of seeing the world through the lens of the gospel. Um, Redeemer is all about this lens being the gospel for everything. Absolutely for everything. A- through Z, uh, the engine, everything, the air you breathe, uh, everything. The gospel is everything. And the reason why the gospel is everything is because we're a nothing. Um, Jesus did, does, do everything. Okay, one thing to note, too, about this gospel vision is that it's not a standard. Our vision is not a standard to live up to. It's a way of seeing the world. Uh, so if you'll notice, you go to look on a website on churches and you'll find out their their visions and their values. A lot of it is, holy cow, I've got to be a fully divided, a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Whew, okay, that's the vision, right? I've got to be, I've got to do 
something or enough. Um, a gospel vision is radically different. It's a way of seeing. It's not a way of doing, and it's not a way of being. Okay, so Jonathan Edwards calls it the rules of the gospel. Isn't that interesting? He says, church philosophy, a church should be all about the gospel. Uh, perhaps the greatest preacher, I don't know, I think so. He is pretty phenomenal. A guy named Charles Spurgeon, his ministry was so successful in London that everybody, other churches were coming to him and even uh, reporters were coming to him and saying, dude, what's the secret to your effectiveness? You know, you're successful, right? What's your secret? How are you doing? What's your philosophy of ministry? What, what is it about you? And he said, very, very simple. What's my philosophy of ministry? Uh, my philosophy of ministry is him. Him. Uh, if I lift him up, people will see him and be drawn to him. That's all I'm about. Uh, so the gospel literally is everything. I told you all the stories. Some of you remember about Dr. Hannah when I took him to the airport and I was driving him and, and I asked him, um, well, we were talking about everything. Basically I, I tried to get as much time as I could with him anytime I could. And so he, I pull up the DFW. It's crazy. Everybody's out there. It's nuts. People are honking cause I'm taking too long. He grabs his suitcase in the back seat, goes out the car, starts to walk by. I had rolled down my window and I had one of those crank ones. I'm cranking down the window. Dr. Anna, Dr. Anna, one last question. And he looks back at me and I said, what's the secret to the Christian life? And he comes over to the window and he leans in. And he goes, beholding him and then walks away. Uh, it's, it's really, really simple. And yet it's incredibly, incredibly profound. So if the grand vision of what Redeemer is about is the gospel, uh, this is why we say things like what Carol, you said, uh, we're about good news, not good advice. Um, and so let's look at this. If you got a Bible, I want you to go to Colossians 1. I've got mine open here. And we're going to look at verse 5, and we're going to go down to verse... Uh, we'll go down to verse 7. Let's just do that. So I'll read it for us. Just make a couple observations here, which is, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this, uh, this hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. <laughs> now notice what, listen for the tenses. Listen for the verbiage, the verbs of the action, the verbs of the power here. Look for what tense they're in and look for what they're doing, which has come to you. So the gospel has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit. Uh, this is present tense. It's bearing fruit all over the world, and it's increasing all over the world. Present tense. Present tense right now, this gospel is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. All right, so he's writing to Christians. He's writing to the Christian church. He's saying to them, listen, the gospel has come to you. Great, fantastic. Now it's bearing fruit, just like it's bearing fruit, and it's increasing all over the world. And it's still doing that to you. Just as it does, present tense, right now among you, it's multiplying, it's bearing fruit, and it's increasing. 
since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. And then this is great in verse seven, just as you learned it from Epaphras. In other words, an individual is taking a message that is multiplying, increasing, and bearing fruit among Christians and in reaching the unchurched. So here's the deal. This is why we say we're about good news, not good advice. This is so, so important, y'all. If you get this, you've got really the whole philosophy of ministry of the church. You've got what the church is all about. You've got what life is all about. You have your hope and you have your source of everything if we get this. Why do we distinguish between these two? I'm going to ask that question if you want to shoot a little chat. And why is it important to distinguish between good news and good advice? Why should a church do that? Why should that be the driving lens of seeing the world? Why make that distinction? Why do we need to have that distinction? Good advice won't save anyone. Good news is based on scripture. Excellent. Any other answers? I like this chat thing, man. This is like, I feel like Professor Hatton now. Anybody else? Why would there need to be a distinction? Good news, not good advice. Okay, here's what we're going to do. And I, I want, I'm saying this just as much for your sake <clears throat> as I'm saying it for my sake. Ah, the word of God, Andrew, excellent. The word of God is active. People like to give good advice. Yes, they do. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Is good advice like bad? Uh, well, let's say this, that's a tricky question. It can be. <laughs> uh, it's, also, it's great advice to, you know, like, have someone tell us how to do this Zoom thing. That's really good. I love that. It's good advice sometimes. Hey, how do you parent your child in this situation? That's really good advice, sir. That's great. Uh, but we're on a whole different level here where we're talking about cosmic, personal, relational realities of how of reality. So here's the deal. Um, even as I say this, think of this as a way in which you can communicate this to somebody else. Like when someone asks you, Carol, Y'all say you're about good news, not good advice. Why? I don't understand. Why is that so significant? Here's what I want you all to learn to get. I want you to learn the difference between a piece of glass and a seed. Okay? A piece of glass and a seed. And you're going to say, good advice is like this piece of glass. And I'm going to take this piece of glass and I'm going to go plant it in the ground. And I'm going to bury it and I'm gonna water it, and I'm gonna fertilize it, and then I'm gonna become the glass whisperer, and I'm going to whisper to this glass to grow, and I'm going to encourage the daylights, and I'm even gonna challenge this glass. Like, I'm gonna exhort it, and I'm going to even, like, throw warnings at it, and even give it 10 steps on how to be a better grower. And I'm going to give it everything I've got. I might even give some inspirational. I might give some coaching videos. I might do everything I can for this piece of glass. We all know this piece of glass isn't going to grow, right? 
The piece of glass is not going to grow because there's no life and there's no power in the glass. Good advice is a piece of glass. It has no life. It has no power in it. But it does have one power. It can cut you up pretty well. It can shred your heart and it can shred your relationships and it could shred a church and it could shred a mission. Um, and that's why the Bible, Peter, calls the gospel an imperishable seed. Now think about that, an imperishable seed. When this seed gets planted into your heart and it gets planted into relationships and it gets planted into the church like we just saw in Colossae where it says it's bearing fruit <clears throat> and increasing, this seed is imperishable because it carries divine life and divine power in it. When it gets planted, it grows. It does all the work. And so from the beginning, when we say we're about good news, not good advice, we are talking about, we are about the power of God, the only power of God. There is no other power of God. And notice in Colossae, in this church in Colossians, the power of God is reaching the church. It's bearing fruit. It's increasing in the church. And it's bearing fruit, and it's increasing outside the church. So the gospel is not only for the unbeliever to be reached. The gospel is for the believer, period. Okay. The other thing we need to know about the gospel is why it's called good news. It has, it's living, it's active, but it's also called good news. Why is it called good news? Um, Dr. Jones, well, it, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to tell the story. Um, let's say this. The word gospel goes all the way back into the ancient world, and it's a word that's used for military victories. It's, here's how it would work. In those days, like, remember, I don't know if you all have seen the movie 300, or if you even know, like, the Battle of Thermopylae. You ever hear about the Battle of Thermopylae? you got 300 Spartans that fight a million Persians. Well, back in those days, in the Greek, Persian, and even on into the Greco-Roman world, the word gospel uh, in Greek is euangelion, and it literally means uh, good news. And it was the good news that a runner would bring back to the capital or back to the people about a battle that just was fought, and that their army, their land, their people won. So let's say again, uh, let's say a, a nasty, back in those days, you know, you're in, you're in a land and you hear about an invader. You know, let's say the Vikings landed on England or something, and you hear of this enemy that is just annihilating and destroying everything in its path. And so a king's got to get together, he's got to get his army together, he's got to go confront the enemy, he goes and confronts the enemy, and the king loses. The king loses, but his last heroic effort is to grab his, his runner and send him back to the capital with one last chance of survival. And the runner runs back to the capital, and he says, what? Well, he gives a lot of good advice. <laughs> he says, fight for your lives. We're all doomed. <laughs> you know? They're coming. They're coming. And, you know, it's like archers on the wall. Calvary at the West, West Gate, infantry on me. You know, it's, it's like your last stand. It's completely your last stand. Fight for your lives. Uh, that's not gospel. Here's gospel. 
the gospel, euangelion in those days was the king goes out, meets this annihilating enemy and just flat out destroys him. The king wins, the king conquers, the king crushes, and he grabs his favorite fastest runner, Nike, and sends him back to Athens with victory, right? Good news, man. The king won. It's over. It's finished. Uh, there's life. There's freedom. There's no more fear. There's no more threat of death. Uh, enter into the wonder of the king, his victory. And so the gospel in its essence as good news means that somebody won for you. Somebody did it for you. It's been accomplished. It's finished. So I want you to think of it this way. Good news, not good advice means that it is finished. Uh, it's, it's what God has done, not what you do. It's what God has achieved, not what you accomplish. It's what God has won, not your attempts at success. Uh, God did it, right? And so because it's finished, the message is, oh my word, y'all, believe it. <laughs> Live in it. You know, roll around in it, swim in these waters, bring this victory, bring what God has done in Christ in a life, death, resurrection, and a present reign, and unleash the wonder, the words, the power of that in your life, your relationships. Good advice is this, it's never finished. Good news is it's finished. Believe it. Good advice is it's never finished. Be something, do something, because you're always going to have to, because it's never, ever finished, right? Okay, um, questions on that. So we're, we're putting on our pair of glasses because Redeemer is about, is looking at a way to see, a way to see church, a way to do church, um, and the first thing that we need to see is Redeemers about the gospel and why that's so important. So we say things like, we are about good news, not good advice. We also say things like this. We are about experiencing Jesus with the Bible. Okay? This is all under the gospel reality. <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, man. Okay, so get out your Bibles while I take a swig of Gatorade. And let's go to Romans chapter 10. Let's look at uh, verse 5. Verse 5 and 8. We're going to go to Romans chapter 10. John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John acts like a Roman. That's how I get there. And then go eat popcorn is how I finish it out. Just in case you're wondering. There was never a big old memorization of all the books in the Bible. It's always some like little jingo for me. Okay. So in Romans 10, if you look at verse five, for Mo uh, Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments will live by them, right? There's some good advice right there. You know, you better, you better be able to keep those things. Um, but the righteousness based on faith says, okay, so here's a different kind of righteousness. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. So someone's trying to work to reach God. Someone's trying to activate God. Someone's trying to activate the Holy Spirit 
for you, whatever. It's climbing up and pulling God down. It's climbing up and getting Jesus to come to you. That is to bring Christ down, right? So that's trying to work to bring him down, maybe by obeying the Ten Commandments. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead, right? But what does it say the word is near you? All right, what's near you? What's this word that's near you? Near you, near you. Now I want you to drop down to verse 14. We're trying to find some word that's near us. Notice that it's a word that's near you, right? How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? All right, so how can someone call on God, call on Jesus, if they haven't believed in him? And then the next logic goes, how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And then how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And then as it's written, here's the Nike guy. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach what? Good news. All right, now let's backtrack. I want you to look at verse 14b, uh, not a. How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And then how are they to believe in him? And here we go. You got two translations, two ways to interpret this. Your translation, if you have the ESV, says of whom, correct? If you have NIV, does it say of whom? NAS, does it say of whom? Now, if you have a good Bible, it's, there's going to be a footnote after that. So if you have a good Bible, look at the footnote, and it gives you another option. So if you say, how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? In other words, how can they believe if you don't give them the information? How are they going to believe unless you don't give them the content, right? How are they going to believe unless you tell them who this person is, right? That's one way of looking at it. The other way, listen to how it sounds. How are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? All of a sudden, whom they've never heard is that this person is present, this person is near, and this person is speaking to them. See the difference? How are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? This person, they haven't heard this person speak to them. How can they believe unless this person speaks to them? Where's the word? Where's the speaking voice? Well, the word is near you. See how this works? And then how are they to hear without someone preaching? And then follow the logic. Whom they've never heard. Who do you hear? You hear Jesus. What is he doing? Well, he's speaking to you. Well, how is he speaking to you? Because someone's preaching. And well, what is that person preaching? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. In other words, <laughs> Jesus shows up in the gospel. Jesus shows up in preaching. Jesus shows up in the Bible. We are about experiencing Jesus with the Bible. There are, a, I think probably every Christian wants to experience Jesus. If you were to look at church history, you would find movements and denominations all based on some way to experience Jesus or experience God, let's say. Let's just go a little more generic, okay? There's a tradition out there um, there's a whole religious tradition that's based on experiencing God or experiencing Jesus in church traditions. Okay, so let that sink in. We're talking like millions that are looking to encounter God in church traditions. 
There's another movement that started out of the Reformation. It was called the Anabaptist movement. And their goal was to experience Jesus directly in your heart. Then there was a reaction, as I said, to the Reformation and to the children, and really the grandchildren of the Reformation, got tired of a lot of this dry, lifeless doctrine, as they called it in that time. And so they were actually looking for not just a direct experience with Jesus in the heart, but they were looking to experience Jesus through special anointed individuals. By the time you get in church history to the United States and say the, I don't know, the 1800s, um, early 1900s, holy cow, you go and you want to study church history, you'll see a bunch of characters. Wild and woolly characters. <laughs> Special anointed individuals was how you were going to experience Jesus. And then in reaction to that, in the 80s, I'd say in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, in the megachurch movement, and in the conservative fundamentalistic movement, and even into evangelicals, the way that we experience Jesus today is through biblical principles. Biblical principles on anything under the sun. Timeless truths, they've been called. You know, um, so here's what we're saying. You experience Jesus with the Bible. You experience Jesus in the gospel. Jesus shows up in the gospel. So why is that a big deal? Because it's a big deal like this. This is how big a deal it is. If Jesus shows up, it's game over. If Jesus shows up, you're not going to sit there and go, gosh, well, I trust him. If he shows up, you're going to trust him. If Jesus shows up, you get spoken back to life again. You get reached. You get renewed. You get helped. You get comforted. You get experientially, you feel forgiven. You start settling into the work of another. If Jesus shows up, um, your relationships change. If Jesus shows up, the way you relate to money changes. If Jesus shows up, you have new fruits of life change. If Jesus, in other words, if Jesus shows up, it's the cause that produces all the effects. Does that make sense? Okay. This is why we also, well, there's one other thing I want to say here. Oh gosh, we're already a quarter up. We're going to, we need to roll. If you go to Galatians 3, there's something really, really interesting. I'm just going to go there. I'll read it for you really quick. It's another way to just kind of show what we've been talking about experiencing Jesus with the Bible. In Galatians 3.1, um, I'm going to give you the literal translation. Oh, you stupid Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Who's, who's done dark magic on you? He says this, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified. Okay, now, uh, let's just look at geography. Galatia is, you know, in the Turkish area. Uh, that's not, that was not in Jerusalem. So how in the world was it before the Galatians' eyes that Jesus was portrayed vividly as crucified? How did they see Jesus crucified? The answer is, he was vividly portrayed as crucified through preaching, through hearing. 
So they saw Jesus as the crucified one uh, through the word. They experienced Jesus, his crucifixion, with the word. Okay, I beat that one pretty good. I think we're good to go. Um, one thing that Luther said I think is very, very interesting. Luther used to always, he used to always be amazed at the Word of God. He couldn't believe that we had the Word of God. He, for him, it was like, I, I can't believe that we have the Word of God. And the reason why it was so powerful for him is that he knew that if God's Word was in the world, God was in the world. Because for Luther, the Word of God was the presence of God. The Word of God was the active work of God in the world. So if he had the word of God, he had the personal active presence of God in the world. That's a huge, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful way to, to see this again. So experiencing Jesus, the Bible, this is why we also say things like this. We're learning to build our messy lives and relationships around Jesus and his salvation together. Okay. That's why this gospel vision, that's why we say language like that. Uh, we are learning is very, very important because that means that you and I are not people that are uh, perfect. We're not people that have fully arrived. We are messy people, which means we're always learning. Uh, and we want to say we're learning to do this because um, the Christian life or growing in Jesus is not something that's natural to you and me. In other words, it's not something you're going to find inside of you. So if you go on a, you know, a meditation retreat and you try to get in touch with you, you will never find um, the gospel. You will never find good news. You'll find chaos. You'll find the deep abyss. You'll find, uh, uh, as Calvin would say, a labyrinth of doors by which you'll never return. The inward curve of ourself will never give you the pathway to life, right? So we're learning. We're learning to build our messy life around Jesus and his salvation together. We're, we're, we're learning that. We're learning to do an outside-in movement. That It's outside-in that God reaches us. It's outside-in that God renews us. And then it's inside-out. That's how we change inside-out from an outside-in power. Okay, so... Um, and we're doing this together. This is where friendship and, <clears throat> and community comes in. So we're, we are, we need each other. We need friends. We need community. We need to do life together. We uh, were made. Uh, I mean, everybody today now is talking about, you'll hear it over and over again. On We're social beings. We're social beings. And I'm, and I'm like, yes, Absolutely. And then the reason is, well, why are we social beings, though? I mean, seriously, what, why are we community um, interconnected to one another beings that we've got to learn to, to know God and go through life together, that we weren't meant, remember, in, the, in paradise, in paradise, Adam's perfect, he's with God, and God says to him, no, oh, it's just not good for you to be alone, dude. Well, wait a minute, he has God. It's just not good for you to be alone. Why is it not good for Adam to be alone? Why wasn't it good? Is it not good for you and me to be alone? The reason is because God's not alone. Uh, God is one in three. He's three persons. And each person in the Trinity is 
exalting and loving and serving and knowing and glorifying uh, and enjoying the other. Lewis called it, it's the dance. They each dance around the other. Um, and we need to dance around each other. We are made for relationships. So we're learning to build our messy life around Jesus and the salvation together. Um, we're messy, so we're learning to do something with our messy lives and our relationships are messy and we're learning to do this as messy people. So that means too that this community, this friendship that we have uh, is gripped and centered and driven by the gospel. It's not based on glass, good advice. Uh, it's based on good news. Um, it's also means that we are becoming redeemers about being an unshockable community, meaning um, why are we shocked that we sin? Why are we shocked that you sin? Why are we shocked that there are sinners? We shouldn't be. Right. And we're, and the gospel will make us more and more unshockable. And so what does that mean? Practically speaking, it means this, that when you're unshockable, you're a safe person. And when you're a safe person, you become like Jesus. Sinners flock to you. And that becomes the dynamic of our friendships and our relationships, that we're, we're driven by grace. We're going to see, we're going to talk about speaking the truth and love later, but in the community aspect, but that's a major major element to this. Um, in other words, it's, it's people are drawn to Jesus. Jesus was the most notorious sinner's best friend. <laughs> and we'll become more and more each other's friend, a true friend, and we're unshockable. And that means we move towards people. We move towards each other. When people are fleeing, we're running the other way. We're running towards the fire, not away. Okay, last, we'll end here because this has been long. Maybe there's be some questions. This is why we say things like we're about reaching and renewing as many people as possible in Waco. Um, a gospel vision does not draw a false dichotomy between the churched and the unchurched, the reached and the unreached, uh, the Christian and the unbeliever. There's no false dichotomy there. I want you to listen to listen to what the church, the nature of the church is like, that Jesus says. <clears throat> in, oh, where is it? In Matthew, Jesus says to his disciples, he, after he announces who Peter is, Peter says, Peter's first time the disciples actually did some, said something right, they, Peter says, you're the Christ, and he says, upon that I will build my church, and then he says this, I will build my church, so now we're being told this is what the church is. And Jesus is saying, I will build it. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, this is really, really fascinating. We're getting, now he's giving us what the DNA of the church is. So if you cut the church open, what does it bleed? You cut the church open, what's its essence? Jesus say, is saying that the church is the outpost of the kingdom of God. He's saying, I'm going to build my church at the gates of hell. Usually we think that the gates of hell are attacking the church. This is not what's happening. You know, we always think, oh, the gates of hell are coming against the church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not bring the church down. It's, it's the exact opposite. Here are the gates of hell. The church is on the offensive. 
and the gates of hell. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. In other words, I'm building my church in hell. I'm taking people out of hell. The essence of the church is reaching and renewing. The essence of the church is it reaches those inside the gates of hell because that's where we came from. Um, so the church is about us who have now been reached. And the church is about, I will build my church. Where? Uh, with those that are inside the gates of hell. I will bring them out. So there's no dilemma. And I've said this over and over again when I was planning this church. I'd have people come up to me all the time and they'd, they'd try to pin me down on what kind of philosophy, what kind of church we were going to be. <clears throat> so they'd say, so you're, uh, oh yeah, you're, you're one of those reform folks, yeah, Calvinists or whatever, right? And, you know, and I'd be like, whatever you think. And uh, they'd say, so you're really about like equipping the saints and training leaders and, um, you know, getting your theology nice and tight and teaching strong, you know, discipleship classes and building the saints. And then I would look at them and I'd go, uh-huh. And then another person would come up to me and they realize, oh, you come from a parachurch background. Like you were a campus minister on the other side of the world and you were reaching unreached people. So are you going to be about evangelism and are you going to be about like reaching the lost? And are you going to be about like, uh, you know, going to people and telling them about Jesus and, and reaching people that do not go to church? And then I'd go like this and I'd look at them and I'd go, uh-huh. Um, it's always both. And even to this day, I will have, sometimes, I had, I had a conversation with a, uh, uh, a person who had been in the church for a while, and they were, they were a little disgruntled that we keep talking about reaching people and that we need to focus on the church. And I look at them, I go, why is there a dichotomy? I... What's the difference? Uh, a gospel vision sees no difference. A gospel vision is churched and unchurched. It's reaching and renewing as many people as possible. Remember that passage in Colossians. It says the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in the world and in you, church in Colossae. That's the church. That's what the church is all about. So that's why we say that. We are about reaching and renewing as many people as possible. And we will pick up next week um, maybe one more look at some things, and then we're going to move on to some of the other aspects of what Redeemer is about. And we'll probably start attaching some practical expressions of that as well.